0: Let's go, go. You're listening to Making Data Simple, where we make the world of data effortless, relevant, and yes, even fun. Podcast listeners, Al Martin here. Thank you for being here. I am with another founder. Imagine that. Another founder, another entrepreneur. I can't even say entrepreneur, but this guy lives and breathes it. I am with Dawa Man. Uh, Where are you from originally?
1: I'm from the Netherlands. Uh, so Netherlands. that's where your weird name comes from.
0: Uh it's not look, I I've got my name's Albert. So there's no more weirder than that. It's, I I'm the fifth, actually. I'm like King Henry the Eighth. I haven't caught up with him, but I'm the fifth. Anyway, Dawa Man, pleasure having you. He is the founder and CEO of Mentano. This is an open source data integration and transformation platform. Uh he has a history at GitLab's uh and I think you were employee number ten or something like that. Matano began as an internal project within GitLab, and then it spun out as an independent startup in 2021. You've raised venture capital money. Now you're here, you're thriving. you got over 5,000 active projects every month, support uh, data integration connectors for almost 300 sources and destinations. You're off and running, and you're the next Elon Musk. Welcome, man. How you been?
1: I've been great. Thank you so much for having me.
0: You do a lot of podcasts, don't you?
1: I've been doing the rounds over the last couple months uh, as we've been trying to get the word about Meltano out with uh, the data community, software engineers, uh, just people in general interested in uh, the future of data tooling. So yeah, I've done a bunch of these recently.
0: No, that's terrific. So welcome. Give us a little bit of your history, if you don't mind.
1: Born and raised in the Netherlands, uh, and then I really picked up kind of the programming virus earlier. My background is really in software engineering, not in data. When I was nine years old, we always used to have kind of computers around the house. My father was one of the first people to have a computer in his family, so I kind of grew up around computers, and I always grew up around them being something you can tinker with, not just something where you can use the pre, you know, installed applications. But we had Linux at home, so I always thought of computers as this massive opportunity for for creativity. Um, so for from a very early age, I started programming and I started uh, doing PHP web development for you know people online who would want help with that. And that kind of spiraled out of control to the extent where <laughs> I founded a startup when I was 18, uh, just finishing up high school. And then uh, during college doing computer science in uh, Utrecht, a city in the Netherlands, I ended up joining GitLab as employee number 10, like you mentioned earlier. And at the time, you know GitLab was, was tiny, very far from the 1,400 person just having gone public uh, company distance today. And I was able to grow a lot in those six years. It took for the company to go from 10 to 1400. uh, And and I was able to get a lot of leadership and management experience. Uh, And um, I ended up joining this internal Meltano project that we now spun out earlier this year.
0: When did GitLab go public?
1: GitLab went public uh, mid-October 2021. So very, very recently. The uh, ticker is GTLV for those who want to check it out.
0: So did you leave prior then? You also yeah,
1: Meltano was officially spun out in uh, around May, June 2021, so uh, I was not actually internal anymore for the IPO event, uh, but it's also been really great watching from the sideline, um, how, you know, the amazing work that the GitLab marketing team had done around sharing that story with the community. One of the very special things about GitLab that we have also adopted at Meltano is this Kind of transparency that goes way beyond what typical companies would do, not just in the software that's being built, being open source, but also in the amount of detail of stuff going on behind the scenes that uh, the community is included in. So even as an outsider, we got a really interesting look at uh, the IPO process. I think it was the very first time that a NASDAQ actually live streamed the entire listing day event, uh, and, uh, Hmm. and GitLab was able to make that happen.
0: Hey, so I'm reading through or researching your history. You're the first person I've known that actually was in school and, you know, building or developing on an iPhone
1: said you had an iPhone jailbreak tweak. What is that? (laughs) Right. So uh, back in the early days when iPhones, um, I mean, even today, of course, iPhones can really only do what Apple wants you to do on them. And. 10 years ago, a little bit more, there used to be this really big movement of people jailbreaking their iPhones, basically to allow them to run arbitrary code on them and and do far more than Apple had ever imagined. And during this time, I was kind of active in this community. And together with a couple of other people, we ended up building a tweak that basically modernized the lock screen on your iPhone years before Apple would add uh, the ability to add notifications to your lock screen, to add, you know, your the time, the weather, all of these details we had built something that thousands of users, hundreds of thousands like you mentioned, ended up viewing on their iPhone every day when they opened up their phone just because we wanted it and Apple hadn't uh, made it possible yet and that was one of my first forays actually into open source development as well, since this was all done by the community with code in in places like GitHub uh, and we were just trying to build something together for our fellow iPhone uh, fans uh, without any kind of you know limitation on what the code <laughs> could be used for or who could uh, contribute.
0: Then also I study and you co-founded a SaaS startup. That yeah, I think correct. you got uh, 150K in ARR. Did you study at all, man?
1: <laughs> well, when I was, uh, the nice thing was coming into my computer science bachelor's degree is that I found that so much of the stuff that, the, in, that was taught in the first years was all stuff that I had picked up kind of by myself already, which is unique about this profession we're in of software engineering. So I was able to combine my um, full-time bachelor's education pretty much with 20 hours a week of, of real work on the side. Uh, <laughs> and that's ultimately what prepared me to join GitLab as an engineer when I was still part-time and then relatively quickly, one year later, become the first engineering manager before having left college. Juggling those things has always been something I, uh, I, I've, I've tried and enjoyed.
0: So in your case, would you go to college again?
1: It's a good question. I, I would say for the social aspect of it, 100%. For the specific <laughs> education, I feel like computer science is one of the few fields in which you can learn way more kind of industry relevant stuff by yourself at your own pace just by chasing after problems that motivate you um i don't think the best route is to go uh, to college for that anymore
0: (laughs) (laughs) all right so all you kids listening just Close your ears right
1: now. I would say, uh, you know, one of the really special things about this industry is that there's a wealth of information on, available online, including tons and tons of really amazing free tools, uh, open source tools in many cases that are that can rival the kinds of tools that massive companies use to get their job done. So if you want to get better at data or software engineering or anything, um, really, there's no age that's too early to start. And it's tools like Meltano that are open source and that bring all of these uh, kind of data tooling to people who previously might not have been able to access them. And that's part of what really motivates me, making it possible for a new generation of people to get into data just as early and with just as high quality tools uh, as I did myself with software engineering.
0: No, no, I understand. Look, there's more opportunity now than maybe in in all of history. And we're just starting with AI and everything else like that. I presume that Motano is remote then.
1: Correct. We are all remote. Today we have a team of 12 people, um, most of them in the US, but spread all over. We don't have any particular hub in any area or city. Uh, myself and an engineer in Mexico City, and then we have one data engineer, software engineer in the UK as well. Um, and we are actually hiring all remotely, and we are willing to hire everywhere around the world where we can get the uh, kind of employment setup figured out. Uh, we have 12 roles. So uh, if any of what I described further on in this call, what Bob Maltano is doing resonates, uh, listeners definitely <laughs> check out the jobs on Maltano meletano.com slash jobs. GitLab was one of the world's biggest and first all remote organizations. Uh, so we have learned from the best and we are trying to build a world-class, um, all remote and open source company just like GitLab has been.
0: All right. So let's jump in. Multano. how would you describe the company?
1: Yeah, so when you introduced us earlier, you were talking about this open source data integration and transformation platform. Uh, And that is definitely one valid way of looking at it. And it's what we've focused on most for the last year and a half or so. But going forward, our vision is really to become a data ops operating system uh, that can form the foundation of every team's ideal data stack. And our greater goal is to enable everyone to realize the full potential of their data. So the way we think of it uh, is that the modern data stack as it exists today, is composed of a number of different tools that are really, really good at usually one or two specific things, which means that as a company setting up a data stack, you're probably going to be using somewhere between 5 and 15 different tools that need to be connected in certain ways that your data flows through uh, throughout the course of its life. So we think that there's something missing there that kind of ties all of these tools together and allows teams to uh, work with them again as, as a whole, as a single product, a single project that an entire team collaborates on. And it's exactly that foundational layer under the data stack that we are building. Uh, We have started doing that by bringing in really great open source technologies for data extraction, loading and transformation in the form of Singer, Taps and Targets and DBT to kind of prove that we can form this foundation under best in class tools and make them better than the sum of their parts. And now we are attempting to do the same thing for the rest of the data lifecycle to make the entire data um, stack more accessible to new teams and to teams that are trying to modernize their tooling.
0: So is this replacing those tools or integrating those tools?
1: It is very intentionally... Integrating them, exactly. It's a new foundational layer under the existing components that make up many people's data stacks that allows these to come together and become more than the sum of their parts. But we are very, very happy with the state of many of these best-in-class tools in the data space today. And it is them that we want to elevate and put on a platform and build great integrations between them. We are not currently, uh, or you know, in the near term, planning to build our own solutions for many of these steps in the data lifecycle. We think there's a lot of value we can add by bringing them together and specifically bringing best practices from the software development world into data teams, uh, which means things like version control, code review, and continuous integration and deployment or, or automated testing so that teams can have higher confidence in the result of what they built and all of the insights that they derive from it and can collaborate more effectively um, with one team in one place.
0: What kind of tools are we talking about here?
1: Absolutely. So uh, when you're talking about the different stages in the data lifecycle, there's of course ELT, data integration and transformation, there's orchestration, there's visualization, there's all kinds of toolings around governance today as well, data testing. Um, And when you're looking at this modern data stack that is coming together, and then specifically at the open source tools that we believe very strongly will win over the long run, um, on the ELT side, their Singer is a really great standard for open source data connectors with a library of more than 300 sources and destinations, which can rival pretty much any uh, SAS data integration solution. DBT is a really great software for SQL-based data transformation, allowing you to transform your data in a declarative way by describing a select query that represents the schema that you would like it to have. And then Airflow is a tool that we currently use for data orchestration, managing these workflows, these data pipelines. But we have plans to support things like Daxter and Prefect, some of these other open source workflow orchestration tools in the future. And then further down the data lifecycle or pipeline, um, great expectations for data testing, superset for data visualization as well as Metabase and LightDash, meaning that we are identifying these best-in-class open source tools for uh, every step of the lifecycle and trying to bring them together in a platform that will be really easy for people to pick up and start using uh, while giving them the opportunity to pick the ideal components that meet their needs best. So we're trying not to be too prescriptive, but rather support uh, team's ability to design their ideal data stack using Meltano as the foundation.
0: Did you start with ELT and now you're advancing to the platform you described?
1: Meltano, when it was started within GitLab in 2018, There was always this aspiration of it becoming a platform for the entire data lifecycle, an end-to-end platform for data ops, similar to how GitLab was an end-to-end platform for DevOps. So for a while, um, the the team within GitLab, from about 2018 to 2019, or early 2020, was working on this platform that kind of would do it all by bringing in these great open source technologies. Then over the course of 2020, we focused specifically on ELT, because we realized that the biggest need for open source tooling was there, uh, and the Singer community that had already Built this massive library of connectors needed better tooling to actually maintain and manage those pipelines. Um, And that's what we were able to really grow and gain traction with over the course of 2020 to the point of spinning out of GitLab in early 2021. And now we have been afforded the resources and the community support to broaden our vision again to encompass the entire data lifecycle. So it's kind of a... Focus and then, um, you know, focusing more broadly again. Story.
0: I got to believe GitLab is one of your customers. Then,
1: absolutely, GitLab is one of our users. <laughs> Although customers we don't have at this point. We are purely focused on building a really great open source tool for these data engineers and other early adopters. Um, we are. Our plans for commercialization are still at least six months into the into the future.
0: Yeah, that was one thing I was going to talk to you about how you plan to monetize. Give me an idea of where the integration, the the problem you're trying to resolve doesn't work today and what Meltano does to solve it.
1: One of the things that I mentioned earlier, some of these software development best practices we're trying to bring to data is this concept of end-to-end testing, making it so that if you make a change anywhere inside your data stack, um, the product or Maltano or the stack that you've built will be able to tell you what the potentially unforeseen circumstances are of that change on, on something down the line. Imagine that you have a data pipeline that starts with integrating data from various sources, loading it into a data warehouse, transforming it using dbt, and then you might have some kind of visualization tool at the end, where you've written some query or some modeling language to define the graph you want to show. Today, if these things are all living in different tools with different teams focused on them, you could accidentally break a dashboard by making a relatively innocuous change in the data integration configuration or in your transformation pipeline. And this change might not come, this this mistake, this, this error might not come to light until your CFO is trying to present his dashboard to the board and it turns out that the whole graph is broken with some kind of error. So one of the things that integrating these applications uh, and bringing them together in one project accomplishes is the ability for Meltano to have full visibility into every aspect of your data stack, all the way from data integration to visualization, and um, giving you insights of, of what's going on in that pipeline, and allowing you to detect certain potential errors and negative impact of changes, uh, wherever it might be in your stack by virtue of having all of this running locally on your computer, having it running in a continuous integration environment um, on some kind of DevOps platform like GitLab or GitHub. And what this gives teams the ability to do is to iterate more quickly with much higher confidence because they know that any unforeseen changes will be detected before they actually go into production. And it allows entire teams to see uh, how these different parts of the data stack fit together and propose changes to their colleagues who they previously might never have talked to because they felt like they were working in such different worlds. Our thinking is that entire data teams should be able to have the full perspective of the entire data stack and work on it collaboratively, just like software development teams do on on massive projects.
0: So is this data ops or DevOps or both? And what's the difference?
1: A lot of what I'm talking about here definitely sounds like stuff that software developers would say. Um, Background is explicitly in software development. And when I became exposed to data and the types of tooling and workflows that data teams use, I was disappointed or confused or surprised to see uh, that a lot of these best practices that had arisen in software development as part of this DevOps movement uh, and had really revolutionized software development in so many ways were missing from the data world, even though with my software developer eyes, the parallels and the similar problems and the similar needs were really clear. So the way we think of it is that data ops uh, is a combination of DevOps and a number of other Workflows like agile development is part of this as well. But we think that the first step of bringing these software development best practices to data teams will be by taking these DevOps best practices and building tooling for data teams that embraces these. Uh, so, yes, we are bringing data ops to the entire data lifecycle by reimagining DevOps um, for the data lifecycle and data team.
0: From a business perspective, are you monetizing the ELT, the singer work that you have as you build out this platform? Or are you, you've got the ELT piece as part of the platform and you're yet to monetize, like you say, and like commercialize it in six months or so?
1: Yeah, we are not currently monetizing uh, any part of Meltano. The most important thing we think today is to build a product that our data engineer early adopter users really love. Uh, and we want to get to the point where we have product market fit with the entire data ops OS that we're building before figuring out how to monetize it either through a hosted SaaS or platform as a service or through different tiers of functionality, depending on the needs of the end user. Uh, just like GitLab has done successfully with different enterprise tiers, uh, you know, tiers for for medium and large businesses and then tiers for smaller organizations or organizations with less enterprise needs. So uh, our ELT solution today, uh, which is part of this DataOps OS, if you combine it with components specifically for EL and T, um, is something that we expect users to run on their own infrastructure within their own you know, cloud hosting platform or even within uh, an existing workflow orchestrator like Airflow that they might have running somewhere.
0: What platforms are we talking? Now, one thing that IBM's doing is, is what we call hybrid platform. So we're trying to make things work, which is very difficult. Work across multiple platforms, SaaS, on-prem, multiple clouds. Where is Maltano in, in that endeavor?
1: Maltano... Um... The deployment strategy is really kind of built on these, these constructs of Docker and, and Kubernetes, if you want to go that far, which mm-hmm. means that you can containerize your entire Maltano project as a Docker container that is able, capable of running every aspect of your data stack. And then where you deploy it is really up to the, uh, the support of the infrastructure that you already have committed to. We are very much cloud infrastructure agnostic today, but when we start monetizing, we will also have to figure out some kind of hybrid model for both where the main platform as a service will be hosted, but since, of course, some users will have their data already in one of the big clouds, we want to be as close to that data as possible to uh, allow them to minimize their bandwidth costs, for example, but that's still down the roadmap for us.
0: Let's talk a little bit about open source. I think you're making this all available today as an open source offering, yes? Correct. And so then uh, if I'm a developer, I have full access to everything Multano is putting on the the table here, and I can make access of it It, without saying too much, anything you don't want to say. I mean, what is your plan to commercialize? I mean, when will that come and, and how will it come about? Uh, given we're talking open source. It's always a little bit uh, tricky.
1: (laughs) Yeah, that's fair. Uh, I I hinted at this a little bit already a second ago, but I think over the last five to 10 years, um, open source business models have really been proven to be... workable at scale, and GitLab has done this very well as well, and GitLab has actually been a pioneer of um, what is now called the open core business model, or really buyer-based open core, which means that the core of the product that is used directly by data engineers or uh, the engineers on the ground, the individual contributors that are sort of doing the work every day, is all available for free because that's also the functionality that these people are most likely to contribute to and improve. Uh, what that means is that forever open source and for free will be all of the tooling that data teams need if their needs are mostly limited to those of the individual um, engineers on those teams. But then buyer-based open core means that around this open core, there can be kind of shells of functionality that are targeted at specific buyer personas. So depending on who in an organization really cares about the piece of functionality, we would decide to put it either in the open source edition or in one of the potential paid tiers we'll have down the line. Um, in GitLab's case, enterprise edition has a lot of things to do with single sign-on, audit logging, role-based access control, uh, integrations with other types of enterprise systems. And with Montana, we are anticipating going in a similar direction. At the same time, um, we will have a hosted platform, a SaaS or a platform as a service that allows teams to take the Meltano-based data stack that they have built locally to deploy it on top of our platform so that they do not need to worry about Kubernetes or uh, picking a cloud themselves. They Can take their project, push it up to us, and then we will charge uh, them for compute. But this is explicitly something that we are not going to be figuring out until we have reached product market fit with this data ops OS that we're building. So we want to get to the point where this data ops OS is running in production if in hundreds of thousands of organizations, and some of them are starting to ask us, beg us practically um, to allow them to pay for some additional enterprise functionality, either for that or for 24 seven support, or for just a simplified hosting setup where they can leave that out of their own hands.
0: Let me ask you, a lot of our listeners, they like the personal aspects of the podcast, not just all the technical. My question is, is does that not, as a CEO, does that make you nervous that you're still, the, the end state is yet, not yet defined?
1: No, it does not. It really doesn't. I feel like the... Space around open source software has changed so much that what I'm describing here is really not out of the ordinary anymore for developer tools and infrastructure tooling specifically. Um, The idea very much is that if you build something that will be loved by the engineers using it every day and can become ubiquitous as a standard across the industry, there will be the opportunity to monetize some percentage of those users over time. Uh, And I have a lot of confidence in this, both because I saw it firsthand for six years at GitLab and also because there's a lot of other organizations in the data space following that same playbook. And we have full backing from our investors on this. Uh, It's actually investors who are the first to say, wait as long as you can to sell, because the longer you can just build really, really awesome stuff with your community, the better. And uh, they are also betting on on our and everyone else's ability to figure that out as we go. And like I said, we have a number of ideas already that are very plausible to work, that have worked very well for other organizations. Uh, And those will be our first tries. And if they don't immediately work out, we will have the opportunity to try something else because we will still have that massive user and contributor base that we are building today. Just to illustrate the point, we have uh, about 2,000 people in our Slack community right now that are not just users looking for support, but that are actively working with us to build Meltano and make it more powerful and and make it meet their needs better. We believe really strongly that the best tools are those built in collaboration with their users, and um, that goes both for... product will build as the business will build around it.
0: Is there a risk that some of those users will be leveraging a piece of the technology that will be, uh, be purchasable in the future?
1: Yeah, the very cool thing, actually, and I'm saying this is a cool thing, is that one of our, um, a party in our community has actually already stepped up to kind of fill this need for a hosted Meltano, where you can just pay them some kind of monthly amount to manage the hosting instead of having to do it yourself. Uh, they're called singerlead.co. We actually refer users there right now because they're currently offering something we don't ourselves. And we very much see it as growing the pie uh Around the entire Meltano ecosystem. And it would make us really happy if it becomes an ecosystem in which we are not just the biggest kind of money maker, but this is tooling that uh, a lot of businesses can be built on top of. And we are seeing that already with different products using Meltano to power their internal data integration engines. Uh, and that's a use case we fully support. And as far as someone at some point kind of taking our opportunity to monetize from us we think that's very unlikely to happen because there's always something special about uh, going with the primary vendor of an open source product and it's very important to us to build the relationship with our community where they will have the confidence that we will take that stewardship very seriously and will not make any moves that um, would would tempt anyone to think they can do better than we can
0: well you answered one of my follow-on questions earlier, I mean, it's fantastic that your investor community is, you know, has your back. Uh, because a lot of times they're looking for that, uh, you know, how are you going to monetize? What are you going to do here? We want to see the return on investment. Uh, but you must have some rather unique investors in that they're, you know, they, they see the power that you have in hand and want you to get it right because they, they believe in and will continue to fund uh, until yeah. you find that market fit.
1: Yeah, it's, it's definitely still kind of niche in the um, investor you know, VC scene to not just be looking at immediate revenue growth and returns. Uh, but there's a strong belief from those kinds of VCs that have been investing in open source companies over the last decade. And there's a lot of examples of open core businesses that have gone on to become uh, massive enterprises that they have the confidence that this can be done. And of course, it helps that I have that background in GitLab, which also gives them increased confidence that, uh, that we have the um, tool set to make this work. But very much the belief is that the most important thing right now is to build an open source project that really solves problems uh, for people, brings them value, and makes them fans to the extent where they will contribute to make it better, talk to their friends about it to pick it up. Uh, And our hope is that we can build a tool that will be used by a massive percentage of all data engineers out there, not just that small percentage that happens to be in the market for some kind of paid solution. So when we stated our mission is to allow to enable everyone to realize the full potential of their data. We mean that. And everyone goes as far as, you know, all of the world instead of just some of, you know, higher revenue regions. And it also means that I don't want someone at age nine who is starting to get into data like myself, uh, when I was getting into software engineering to be deprived of really, really great tools. And by, Getting into all of these businesses, uh, we also increase the amount of people where a small percentage might one day convert into a paid user. But we do not expect to ever have more than, for example, 1% of our users becoming customers of the product. And that's totally fine by us, as long as we can build a massive user base. And that's the calculus that investors are doing as well.
0: Do you consider this a technology play or a platform play? I mean, it's probably a fine line of distinction, but is it a platform play then? It's essentially at the end of the day?
1: it's a little bit interesting because we're not trying to develop a totally new platform for totally new things to be built on top of. We're kind of recognizing that the data space as it's evolved over the last couple of years has, uh, created the need for a platform to be put under the different components that are already existing today. So our play is definitely that we're building this really amazing technology that will bring value for everyone. But we also hope that by making the entire open source data stack more accessible, we will also grow the open source data stack pie as it is and make those tools more powerful through the actual uh, functionality that Meltano adds with those tools and around those tools so the play is um, more technology than platform I would say but we anticipate having a marketplace at some point where people can kind of browse the different components and compare them and potentially even purchase some of them through our platform which is then another monetization strategy if that allows oh that's uh, interesting if yeah. that allows users or vendors to find customers that they might otherwise never have found
0: you think you're going to be mostly SaaS, I presume? Uh, any cloud, uh, then, because you're you're built on Kubernetes. You, you could go on prem, I guess, too, for that matter. But I presume you're going to have a SaaS model, uh, managed services. You're thinking, or you think, no, we're going to let the customers do the work themselves. We'll just provide them the quote unquote the the platform to make it, and the integration to make things more efficient and possible.
1: We'll definitely go the uh, SaaS direction. We're getting a lot of questions already from our users wanting to kind of simplify their deployment strategy and they'd be willing to just kind of pay us to take care of that. We are getting that message, especially from consulting firms that have adopted Meltano as part of the stack that they deploy with their clients because they, in most cases, would prefer to not be involved in the ongoing maintenance of the data product that they uh, set up for their clients. And they would love to be able to point their clients towards us to kind of handle that, um, the, the hosting of their data stack
0: today and you may have already said this what is your differentiator i mean what do you think that you can do that nobody else can do if i'm listening as the podcast listener here what should i be walking away with in terms of look this is the only place i'm gonna get blah blah blah
1: this is the only place where you're going to get that data ops in a way that's Um, acknowledges the current state of the data space as being massively horizontally integrated and being composed of different tools that are really best-in-class at one specific thing. So there's a number of data ops vendors that are trying to build one massive, one-size-fits-all platform that they try to put all of their users on, and they're building competing solutions with all of these best-in-class players that have come up over the last five years. We are unique in that we acknowledge that we need to play well, and not just well, but amazingly well with these current tools and empower these uh, individual vendors by providing extra value in the data stack that they are not currently in the position to provide themselves. Uh, And that means that you can, as a team adopt data ops and get these advantages of uh, software development best practices like version control and CI/CD without having to completely throw away your current data stack and adopt something new because we are able to kind of get in there and empower what you currently have and allow you the choice to evolve your stack over time. Instead of saying, if you want data ops, you'll have to use our thing and you'll never be able to use something else Again, which is a very hard sell for, for many, many reasons. Um, so that's on the data upside. If we're looking specifically at data integration and transformation, which has been our focus for the last year and still uh, a significant strength, one big difference compared to other ELT solutions is the fact that we allow you to tap into this massive community and ecosystem of more than 300 connectors built around the Singer standard, which is more than you'll get with pretty much any uh, competing data integration solution. With again, some of these data ops advantages, since we allow you to define your pipelines as code, version control it, code review it, and have it automatically tested so that you will not be surprised by things breaking in production uh, as you would with many of these solutions today.
0: Nicely stated, nicely stated. Uh, You also talk, as I was doing some research around, at least the way I interpreted it, you tell me if I'm wrong or right around here, around point and click analytics. Do you have point and click analytics embedded into the, the platform itself?
1: Like I was describing earlier, the scope of Meltano or the focus changed a little over the last couple of years. Uh, before 2020, we were trying to build this end-to-end platform where we um, were adopting some open source technologies, but then also building our own solutions for things like analysis, visualizations, uh, and dashboards. And then we had our own point-and-click interface. Today, though, after having focused on EL for a year and now kind of having gone gone, gone back to focus on the entire data lifecycle, we are instead uh, adopting existing existing really great point and click analytics solutions in the open source space like superset metabase and a newcomer called light because we realize that these teams are fully committed to building the best possible bi and VIS tools ever and we will just not be able to compete with that uh, and we would do not want to either because we think that the world is better off having a lot of vendors compete for the specific point solutions and then we will compete on specifically the data ops, OS vision, uh, and, uh, not also on trying to outdo other vendors on things that they're really good at. So it's very much an additive play, something where we're adding something new to the table, instead of, um, trying to push out some of these current players that we would uh, much rather be great friends with.
0: Probably this is again, a repeat, but I like to make sure we get this out there. Is there a particular target audience? That you have, in other words, a particularly a persona that you're trying to attract right now. I mean, I know you're attracting developers, uh, you know, but uh, anyone else, any on the enterprise level, even any, uh, you know, well, small to medium businesses that you're looking to attract.
1: We are really going for kind of like I was describing earlier, just bottoms-up play where it's going to be through data engineers and data professionals themselves to bring us into their organizations because they realize that they want what Meltano can do for them. Um, and that means that the most useful kind of adoptees for us today are data engineers that are in organizations where these tooling chain decisions already lie with the engineers themselves instead of them being kind of top down enforced, because these are also the engineers that will become contributors to the platform and that can make it better with us. Uh, Like I mentioned earlier, we really believe that the best tools are those built in collaboration with their users and it doesn't get more collaborative than literally being in the code base and the issue tracker together. So data engineers that have kind of learned a little bit from software development and know that being involved to building your own tooling is going to make you more productive in the long run is very much what we're targeting, and we are seeing interest both from larger enterprises where that have data teams that are empowered to make their own tooling decisions and that have the bandwidth to contribute back, as well as really small teams that might only have one or two engineers on them who are very um, much liking Meltano because it makes it so much easier to get started with the modern data stack and with. Connecting all of these tools instead of that having to be done yourself. So it's primarily data engineers who have been exposed to software development stuff and who might even have been software developers in previous lives. And then, like I mentioned earlier, it's data consultants in large part because they are building data stacks for their clients every week, every month. And they are going through a lot of the same motions again and again. And they want that to be more reproducible and they want that to be optimized for rapidly recreating these data stacks, which also means that their teams are more involved on the technical aspect of building a data stack. And it's valuable to have tools that allow them to do so with the advantages uh, that they are used to from software development, as opposed to an organization that sets up their data stack once and then never touches it again, which of course is not realistic either because you're always going to be swapping out components over time. But those are the the biggest audiences we're seeing today. The most important thing is that if you come to Maltano, you should expect to be part of building out this platform and this tooling we're building, instead of just being a pure user. Which is why we find the feedback and contributions from our community are so key, and that's what we're trying to optimize for today.
0: I got to ask you this before we break. Um, how do you measure success until you monetize? Is it the number of contributors?
1: Since we are still building out this DataOps OS vision and adding support for more and more parts of the daily life cycle into the DataOps OS, uh, our measurement for success has a lot to do with whether people are starting to adopt more and more of what Notano can do, instead of only being sticking with what it has been able to do so far. And Notano today is really, really good at data integration. It's pretty good at the DBT integration for data transformation. Uh, and the biggest indicator for us is that people are seeing the value of every next thing we build, both when we're talking about integrations for new tools, like Great Expectations, one of these data testing tools, and Superset and LightDash, some of these visualization tools, and also the specific data ops functionality uh, that we are adding like environments so that you can have isolated environments between your local development machine, some kind of staging platform and production um, and end-to-end testing, which as I described earlier, allows you to detect the impact of a change on one part of the data lifecycle on a place that might be three different apps over because Maltano is the only tool that can actually see that entire picture. So it's very much usage because the most important thing today is product market fit more so than raw um, user uh, base growth Uh, But of course, contributor growth is a kind of secondary indicator, because we're not just trying to build a great product, we're trying to build it with the community. So increasing the amount of feedback and code contributions we get uh, is core to our success as well.
0: Where can folks go to find you or Multano?
1: Yeah, so uh, meltano.com is uh, is the easiest. Um, we have a Twitter account, of course, called Meltano Data, and we have a Slack community with more than two thousand members uh, that you can sign up for through meltano.com/slash-slack. Uh, There's a button on the website, of course, as well. And otherwise, if you're interested in in working with us to actually make this happen, to bring these data ops to to the entire data life cycle, and to bring these software development best practices to data teams, then there's two great ways that you can join us on the mission. Uh, One being find us on Slack, like I mentioned, meltanocom slash Slack, but we are also hiring in engineering in marketing and all over the place uh, through meltanocom slash jobs.
0: Awesome. We'll put that in the show notes. Anything that I didn't ask you that you wanted me to ask that I didn't dive into or something you'd like to explain, something unique about Montano or you or whatever, anything I missed?
1: I think we did pretty well covering all the major notes.
0: All right. Hey, I only got a few more things. What do you do for fun?
1: Recently, I've been really into Formula One. Uh, For those who've been watching, the current season is a blast. Uh, And we're recording just just a few days away from the season finale, so to speak, where Max Verstappen and Lewis Hamilton will uh, will go for the World Championship. Um, So that's been uh, occupying my mind a lot.
0: You know what? That's awesome. And here's why it's awesome. Have you always been a Formula no, One fan?
1: No, 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 of course not. It's just the Drive to Survive Netflix series. Yes, that's what it is. It has introduced <laughs> everyone to it. But... The past few seasons that Netflix followed were relatively boring because you kind of knew who was going to win every race anyway. Lewis yeah. Hamilton for the last however many years. Yeah. This year, the, titles, the title fight has just been been thrilling. Um, I also, as a very new Formula 1 fan, went to my first Formula 1 race a month and a bit ago here in did. Mexico City, which was oh exciting. nice. Uh, and now, being Dutch, I, I'm looking forward to going to the Zandvoort track in the Netherlands next year uh, as well. It's funny because I never cared about cars. I don't even have a driver's license myself because in the Netherlands, everyone just uses public transportation and bikes. And here in Mexico City, I happen to live in an area where that's possible as well. So I was always kind of turned off from the whole, you know, motorsports. But the engineering that goes on and just kind of the internal dynamics between the teams and their drivers and the teams between each other are fascinating.
0: I would have thought that you being from the Netherlands, you had already followed them or something. I thought this was like a, a U.S. thing where we're just not following Formula One like the rest of the world. But not so much, huh?
1: No, so it's interesting. In Europe, it's always primarily been a U.K. thing. So I think British fans, there were always also tons of great British drivers. The Netherlands really only got into it when Max Verstappen became, um, you know, became signed by Red Bull Driving, Red Bull Racing, rather. But even in the Netherlands, a lot of people just looked at it as this weird niche hobby where people are just fans because there's a Dutch driver now. But now through Drive to Survive, suddenly people understand there's a lot more to it than just cars going fast on a track.
0: Well, I think it's amazing. I'm I'm with you. I mean, I think the best thing I could have done is is ever get on Netflix and do that. Because to your point, I have some friends that were, you know, starting to get into it. And they said, you got to watch this, man. You got to watch this. So finally... I said, fine, I'll watch this day. And yeah, damned if I didn't get hooked. Now I'm watching this thing going, oh, okay, what's going to happen next? And I couldn't watch some of the races this season, even I just started this year and I wanted to catch up. So I'm like rushing through the stuff to catch up. And now, yeah, I'm watching and that last race was unbelievable. I, I mean, going back and forth and in the penalties and all this stuff, it's it's pretty it's yeah. pretty intense. And, and now they're going right.
1: into the final race of the season with exact same points, which yes. is also hasn't happened since nineteen seventy four. I just read on Reddit. Oh, um, is that right? And- Yep, and it, it's, it's never been quite this close. My fear is that Lewis will still win. By the time someone listens to this, uh, that will probably already have happened. Uh, and, and Max will have to try again next year. But <laughs> the cool th- And I'm, I'm sure that most of our listeners are completely zoned out by now. But the thing I wanted to add, next year is going to be interesting because the um, specification of the cars is changing. All of the you know, manufacturers really have had to completely redesign their cars following these new rules, which means that going into the next season, no one knows yet which of the manufacturers are going to... Be doing well or horribly and it could just be completely different again compared to the last few years where the specification has been the same yeah I've, I've, it's funny i mentioned just now that i was reading reddit uh, of course you know like many people in engineering I, I have a habit of checking reddit but the formula one subreddit especially has been uh, <laughs> it has been has been enter- very entertaining over the last well the
0: engineering is what took me too yeah i mean those 100%. cars got to be good so i you know to your point i mean I, is it lewis or is it the mercedes car I mean, look, it's probably a little bit of both, but it's got a, the Mercedes car is definitely faster than anybody else. Or, you know, Red Bulls is up there now, too. I, I don't know, but there, there's a reason he keeps winning. And I know he's got yeah. talent, but man, that. All right, I got one more thing to do play a little game with you. Our listeners like the game. This is Would You Rather? You got to pick one or the other. And I've assembled these based on some of your explanations and in discussions we had. I didn't have anything on Formula One. Well, I guess I should say. Max, so here's the thing it's would you rather, Max or Lewis?
1: Max, and it has to be because my wife is Mexican, I'm Dutch, the both Red Bull drivers are Dutch and Mexican drivers, but there's really yeah. only one team we could ever be fans of right now, <laughs> which is Red Bull Racing.
0: Yeah, but who's the uh, what, what's the, the Mexican driver? Um, checo Perez, yeah, Perez, take him over Max.
1: No, remember your wife. Yeah, I, I do remember my wife. I think she was agree, <laughs> probably Max.
0: All right, still going with Max. All right, brave man, brave man. All right, Netherlands
1: or Mexico City? Um, right now, Mexico City, obviously.
0: <laughs> right now. Well, of course, right now, but of all time. Would you go back to the Netherlands?
1: We we are planning to, at some point, go back to the Netherlands, uh, but we very much hope that we can keep both places, both cities as kind of home bases, uh, and we'll have family and friends in both for the rest of our life. Nice.
0: All right. Startup or a small to medium business like
1: GitLab? Startup. I went back Startup. to Meltano uh, and a small team, uh, not without its reasons.
0: iPhone or Android? iPhone. Now, why would you say the reason I put that in there is because Android you can mess with iPhone, you can't, but it seems like you like to mess with phones.
1: (laughs) Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. I I guess I found other things to mess with, uh, and I do appreciate how (laughs) tightly integrated the entire Apple ecosystem is. That's really all that it's about.
0: All right, computer science or data science?
1: Now, data science. Uh, I I find it very fascinating, and I'm getting to learn more every day. Computer science at some point, uh, I, I felt like I grasped pretty well. All right, got it. DevOps or DataOps? DataOps, we're looking forward and DevOps has already been realized. DataOps is still ahead of us and uh, we're making it happen.
0: (laughs) All right, all right, here's the last one. Data warehouse or data lake or data virtualization? Oh. Are you gonna be moving data to a data lake because you're an ETL guy, or at least I thought you were an ETL guy, or do you say, hey, keep data where it is these days, let's do data virtualization?
1: I think today, Data Lake, in the future, I would love for there to be better ways to directly tap into data in various systems. It's just not really realistic today with so many different APIs and file formats. So there kind of has to be that the ELT step in there somewhere.
0: All right. Fair enough. Thank you, Dalwe, for being on here. I appreciate it. You're a good man. Uh, learned a lot. I wish you the best. I wish Maltano the best. Let us know if there's anything we can do for you. And it sounds like about six to eight, maybe nine months, we get you back on to see how things are going and see yeah. how you've uh, achieved that desired state of uh, commercialization.
1: That'd be awesome. Well, thank you so much for your time, Al, and for having me on.
0: It sounds great. Listeners, thank you so much for listening. Hey, rate us. If you would, just take a, a moment to rate us on your your favorite uh, podcast podcast destination of choice. Meanwhile, hit us on almartintalksdata at gmail.com. I'll see you on the podcast. Thank you all. Bye-bye. Until next time, let's go over and out.